listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you his peace. Welcome to the Shrine of Our Lady on this beautiful day of the Divine Mercy Sunday. Um, Also, our first Mass in the Upper Church. We've been longing and praying to have the Mass here, and it's a little chilly, so feel free to uh, go into the sun or whatever. You know, hello out there. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Also, uh, here at the Shrine, we would like to offer a very sincere Welcome to our main celebrant, Father John Anthony, who's here. He is the Father Vicar of our community, the Friars. So he's, um, he's not the number one boss guy, but he's the number two boss guy. So be very kind to him, okay? Um, so praise God. It's nice to have you here, Father. Thank you. And um, this is such a great day. It's still Easter. It's the second Sunday of Easter. It's the octave of Easter. It's the event of the resurrection of Jesus which is so profound that one day is not enough. It's an eight-day feast. It's an octave. It's still Easter. It is the days of day. It's the resurrection of the Lord. And we know that the Holy Church, through the guidance of St. Pope John Paul II, may be influenced by St. Faustina, the Divine Mercy Sister, is designated today as the Feast of the Divine Mercy. 
Um, and you see the image of the Divine Mercy Jesus right here to my right, your left. And as you know, some of you know, there are many promises of graces that Jesus gives for going to confession today or eight days before or after, going to Mass, receiving Holy Communion, and praying for the Holy Father. These indulgences or prayers or blessings or graces, it's just, you know, it's good to be here, to be open to the graces of the Lord. And um, all week we have been hearing different stories of the appearances, the encounters, the early church with the resurrected Jesus. And today's gospel is my personal favorite of all of those stories. It is an amazing story and how appropriate that this is the gospel today. The resurrected Jesus stands in the midst of the apostles and the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. Peace be with you. You can imagine the situation where Jesus had been crucified and it's hard for us to understand how deeply that had shaken the early church. You know how deeply shaken they were by the death of the Lord. What did the two on the road to Emmaus, what did they say? They were speaking to the risen Jesus, but they did not know it was him. They said to him, we had thought that he would be the savior. And so in their mind was, we had been deceived. We had been wrong. We thought he was going to be the Messiah, the savior, and he got killed. So I guess we were wrong. I guess he's not the savior. And what did the um, demon-inspired people say to Jesus as he hung upon the cross? The demons inspired them to say, come down off that cross and we will believe in you. If you're the Messiah, you saved others. You can't even save yourself. They mocked him and ridiculed him. And the Lord Jesus, in his great love for us, loved us to the end. And he offered himself completely and totally. St. Francis would often ponder this mystery and he would say to the brothers, he loved us completely. He held back nothing. Jesus held back nothing. He offered himself to death on the cross. Wow. That is the love and the mercy that we celebrate literally every day, but especially today. Especially the, the, the octave of Easter and the Divine Mercy Sunday. And as I was praying over this story and I was thinking about of all the things that Jesus could have said when he came back, that first appearance from the resurrection, like what is the list of things Jesus could have said? He could have said this, he could have said, you know, but he says, peace be with you. And I was thinking, why did he say that? He must have known that they were so upset that they, the door was locked out of fear. They were afraid they killed Jesus. Now they're going to kill us, his followers. You know, we're next. Lock the door. Stay hidden. So afraid. So disturbed. And in the midst of that, the victorious Lord of life comes into their midst and says, Peace be with you. What a perfect greeting. St. Francis was so inspired by that that he would go through life greeting people. May the Lord give you his peace. He was known for that. And uh, there are stories of people having conversions and for uh, difficulties being reconciled at St. Francis's greeting, peace be with you. And I was praying over that and I was asking the Lord, how can you say peace to us? How can you do it? Why is this such an appropriate greeting? 
And I think it's because the risen Jesus, the victorious Jesus, the Jesus who rose from the grave, has just conquered everything that takes away peace. What a perfect greeting for him to say to us on Easter. Everything that takes away peace, every ounce of the war and tension and difficulty, all of that has now been conquered by his love. That's why he can say with authority, peace be with you. He has conquered sin. Sin is the thing that robs us of peace. Sin has been defeated. Peace be with you. The fruit of sin is death. Death is the thing that causes the most disturbance for so many. And the risen Jesus has just conquered death. Peace be with you. And the devil, the devil who is real and who loves to cause problems. He loves to divide people against each other. He loves to, um, he loves to influence people away from God. And the devil has been defeated. And the Lord says to us, peace be with you. How beautiful. And you know, this was not the first time Jesus had given this greeting. If you look back on the gospel, and it would be an interesting Bible study to do all of the passages where Jesus talked about peace. And you will see that there were other places where Jesus would say things such as, not as the world gives, but rather I give you a peace, a peace that this world cannot give you, a peace that only God can give you. It's a peace that is the fruit of justice and charity, of knowing that God is love and that he can forgive us our sins. That is a peace that no one else can give us. And in another place, Jesus told his followers, when you enter a house, say, peace be to this house. And if there is a peaceable person there, they will receive your peace. But if not, your peace will come back to you. I always thought that was an interesting passage. Jesus is giving us almost the impression that this word of peace is like a thing. Sorry, devil. The Lord Jesus rose victorious. And Jesus says to us, peace be with you. And we receive his peace. The end of mass, the priest says to you, the mass is ended. Go forth in peace. The mass is ended. Go. Take the peace of Jesus to the world. The peace of his love, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, of his victory his victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the devil. T tell me something else that takes away peace. His victory over that also. How beautiful, how, um, how beautiful the Lord gives us that peace. And um, I wanna share with you kind of a delicate and personal story of how the Lord has been giving me peace over the last two months that I've been the chaplain here at the shrine. 
This has been quite a two months, right, Brother Pius? We're over there, and uh, you know, we got Bosco, the mascot of the shrine, okay? Bosco the dog. And um, it has been a beautiful and tremendous experience. And I wanna give witness to that, to you who have come to this place. I have been growing in my understanding of the graces that our Lord will give here at the shrine. The grace is the intercession of Mary, our mother, our mother in the order of grace. And one of the places where the peace of the Lord is being poured out at this shrine is in that confessional. And you know, outside my confessional, I have the image of the divine mercy Jesus. And the confessional is a place where the peace of the Lord is being given. Um, it says in the catechism that when you go to confession, when you go to the sacrament of reconciliation, it is a true spiritual resurrection. Particularly if you've, you've um, had a big sin, there's been a damage to the soul, you're not in the state of grace sometimes, you come to there, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. And through the ministry of the priest, Jesus dispenses his mercy, his forgiveness. And there is a true spiritual resurrection. And I can tell you about the times when I've gone to confession. I'll never forget, I was away from confession for 12 years. Some of you know the story, when I was younger, I was not much of a church person. I was in college, I had a huge conversion, and I had a, a gift of faith, and I started praying to the Lord, what does this mean? And one of the first things that came to me when I was praying as a, a young man in college was, I need to go to confession. <laughs> And I'll tell you, like so many people, I experienced so much fear, so much anxiety, so, so nervous. And uh, so I, ha I made a plan. <laughs> there had been a, a rumor that our, in our diocese, there was an elderly Monsignor who was hard of hearing. And I was told, go to him. <laughs> so I found out where he was. And you know, I snuck in the side door of the church and I was so nervous. And I think, you know, my palms were sweating and I was like, just, I don't know if it was just my own pride and just the working of the devil. He tries to make us be afraid. And I finally see the person, you know, I'm in line, the, the door opens and it's like dark in there. And again, I'd not been to confession for like 12 years since I'd been a little boy. And so you go in and you know, it's a little dramatic, right? In the box, you shut the door and then you kneel down and then you hear the, the Monsignor, who, who had a bit of a funny accent because of his hearing was bad, may the Lord give you peace, may he bless you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. How long has it been since your last confession? <laughs> 12 years, okay. Um, and, uh, and then there you go. And you have the courage, you have the grace to humble yourself and to come out of the darkness into the light. And I love going to confession to the screen. I know you can do either, but for me, when I go to confession, I love going to confession to the screen because it doesn't actually matter who the priest is. It is Jesus who is there. It's a sacrament. And this account is when the sacrament started when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. This is where it comes from, John 20, 20. And I remember finally getting all of my sins out. I finally took a breath. And the Monsignor was so kind 
he did ask me a few times to repeat myself. You did what? You know, like, oh. But he was so kind and merciful and loving. And I'll never forget, he said the, the holy words of absolution over me. And you know, the words of absolution is a word that means to be unbound, to be untied. Like our sins are like chains on our soul and we feel the weight of those chains. And Jesus through the priest breaks the chains and, and we're unbound and we're unfettered and we're set free. And then after he gave me the absolution, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord has freed you from sin. Go in peace. And something happened. I felt it. And I think I floated out of there. You know, what a beautiful experience of receiving the divine mercy of Jesus to be forgiven. And it was in that moment as I was walking out of that confessional that for the very first time I had the idea, maybe I should be a priest. <laughs> if I could help other people experience what I just experienced, maybe, maybe I should be a priest. Whoa. And so all of these years later, brothers and sisters, here I am. And I wanna share with you something that I'm allowed to share about hearing confessions here at the shrine. So I'm in this confessional here, and if you've been in our downstairs chapel, you've seen the image of the divine mercy, and we want that image of the divine mercy of Jesus to be there to welcome you. So as you're coming into the confessional, this is what you're seeing, that you would be welcomed by the Lord himself. And because of the virus and the pandemic and everything, um, we're kind of requesting people to go behind the screen. And so you come, and as you're kneeling there, what you don't see is what it looks like on my side of the screen. And that's what I wanna share with you. I, I had told you a minute ago that when I go to confession, I love going to the screen because it helps me to realize it doesn't matter who the priest is, it's really Jesus I'm confessing to. So when I'm hearing confessions as the priest, what you don't see is that in my side, I have an icon of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the very traditional icon of the resurrection of Jesus. And as, I, as I'm hearing the people, and as I'm praying for you, and as I utter the words of absolution, this is what I'm looking at. And in this icon of the resurrection, we see Jesus in the middle. And this is Jesus who has descended into the abode of the dead. And all around him, you see the Old Testament saints. He's standing upon the broken doors of death. And they almost look like a cross under his feet. And underneath them, there are shackles and locks that are now broken because of Jesus. And to the right and to the left, you see Adam and Eve. And the resurrected, victorious Jesus is pulling them up out of the grave. What an appropriate image for the priest to be looking at as he says the holy words of absolution. As it says in the catechism, there is a true spiritual resurrection that happens during that sacrament. But here's a little detail, which maybe we'll leave this, you can come look at it. He's grasping Adam and Eve by the wrist. And that's the artist's way of communicating that we can't save ourselves. 
We don't pull ourselves up out of the grave. We don't forgive ourselves of our sins. We need a savior. We need the Lord's help. We need his grace. And it's such a powerful image of Jesus. I'm gonna put this down. Reaching into the grave and pulling up Adam and Eve. Like, it's so powerful. It's such an expression of the reality of what's happening in that confessional. And, And here's the thing. Since you're behind the screen, I can't see your face. I can't see who you are. But as I say those holy words of absolution, and as I'm looking upon that icon, I'm imagining your face on Adam or Eve. And I'm imagining Jesus raising you up as you are absolved of your sins. How beautiful. What a profound experience of the Lord's peace. And I love telling people the words that the Monsignor told me all those years ago. The Lord has freed you from your sin. Go in peace. We bring our sins in there and we leave without them. And that is the peace that only God can give. And that is the peace that we celebrate this day on this great feast of the divine mercy when we come in humility to the Lord who is the victor over everything that destroys peace. And for that, we give thanks this day. Amen. God bless you. We thank you for your mercy. We ask for your blessing upon our time here together. Open our hearts to your grace, to the gifts of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have a confession to make. The last two months, there have been many days where we just felt like we were going to burst with joy. The things that are happening here at Our Lady Shrine. This is really a great shrine, and Our Lady is here present, and it's holy ground. It really is. And, um, and it's just amazing when we open our hearts to what God may want to do. The Lord is always going to outdo anything that we'd hoped for. We don't always get the exact thing that we asked for, but the Lord always blesses us and helps us and Um, It has been a joy to be a witness to that here at Our Lady's Shrine the last couple of months here. Um, I have been a staunch devotee of the Divine Mercy for many, many years now. Um, It's one of those devotions which I absolutely love. You may have picked up on that. (laughs) And uh, it is the devotion tailor-made for sinners. So here we are, right? I suspect that may be all of you as well, huh? Maybe not all of you, but most of you. Okay, and um, so, you know, praying with the diary of St. Faustina, praying with this image of the divine mercy of Jesus, praying the novena. Maybe you caught some of our little videos on the internet this last week. The feast of divine mercy, and um, it, it has been a joy to swim in that ocean, St. Faustina in her diary often compares the love and mercy of God to an ocean, which is wonderful. And our sins are like a drop. 
within the ocean of God's love and mercy. And I have been struggling to pray and to intercede and to understand more deeply what is all of this about. Because as you know, the Divine Mercy devotion as revealed to St. Faustina is a private revelation. Just like Our Lady of Fatima, alleged apparitions of Mary, private revelation, any other of these devotions. So it's not the same thing as public revelation, which is our faith. You know, the Gospels, the Bible, the official teachings of the Church, sacred scripture and sacred tradition as interpreted by the sacred magisterium of the Church, the depositum fidei, the deposit of faith, what God has revealed, what is binding on us to believe the creed. You know, that is the, the stuff. And then, after the death of the last apostle, that period of divine revelation came to a conclusion. The fullness of what God wanted to reveal happened in Jesus, who was God in the flesh. So the presence of Jesus, the word made flesh, his sacred teaching, the seven sacraments in the church that he gave us, that is, that's, it has to be on that point. All, all these other things are private revelation. They're not binding. Even something like Our Lady of Fatima, you're not bound to believe it. But the way the church judges any alleged private revelation, whether it be apparitions of Mary, whether it be somebody like a St. Faustina who was claiming to have visions, the way that Mother Church discerns, well, is this true or not? It's always the rule, the standard of the, the gospel of our faith. So if there's anything that contradicts what we believe, what God has revealed, the church will say, nope, <laughs> you know, or we see that the authentic private revelations always point us back to our faith. It always highlights an aspect of our faith. There's not going to be any new revelation, any new info that was not given because the fullness was given in Jesus. The word of God made flesh in, in Jesus. We have the fullness of what God wanted to reveal. But we need lots of reminders, don't we? Brother Pius does. He needs lots of reminders. Clean your coffee mug. Okay, no. <laughs> That's me. I'm the guy that forgets to do that. So we need lots of reminders from the Lord as we struggle to make our way through life. And um, so private revelations are very helpful for that, to, to remind us of that something that's essential to what we believe as Catholics. Okay, and along comes this divine mercy devotion. And through St. Faustina, Jesus reminds us of what we already knew, and that is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What did Jesus say? No one has a greater love but to lay down their life for their friend. And what does John tell us? In loving them, he loved them to the end. So the divine mercy devotion is reminding us of this essential truth that we need to hear again. And I have been absolutely smitten with this painting, this image of the divine mercy. So beautiful, so familiar now to so many people. And it's, it's such an interesting image. You know they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And if it's a picture painted by a famous artist, it's worth a million dollars. <laughs> and you know, St. Faustina had the original image of divine mercy. There was the artist that she personally was working with. And, uh, and 
she was upset and she didn't like it. It's not capturing what I saw when I saw Jesus. And uh, Jesus had to correct her. So in their diaries, it's not, it doesn't matter who the artist is or how well it's painted. It's the trust with which you pray that you will get grace. You know, and there's so many stories and miracles of things that have happened with people praying in front of an image of the divine mercy. There's one story of a man paralyzed in a wheelchair praying at a divine mercy shrine in Italy, and the Lord Jesus stepped out of the picture, picked the guy up out of the wheelchair, and healed him. That's one story. Wow. That's a little dramatic. One of our friars was a pagan. He was not even a believer. He was unbaptized the whole thing. He was living a life of sin. There in London, England, he goes to a phone booth. Anybody remember phone booths? <laughs> and some devout Catholic person put the little holy card of the divine mercy in the phone booth. He sees this image and he is immediately moved. Has a conversion right then and there. And then he sees a Catholic gift shop that had the image in the window. Goes in there and like, tell me about this image. He becomes Catholic. <laughs> becomes a friar eventually. God bless him. So many graces available. And um, there's a, a detail which I read about, which I'd really like to share with you, that I thought was really interesting. When St. Faustina was struggling with the original artist and correcting him, no, do it you know, different. One of the details was the placement of Jesus' right hand. And in the original image, um, St. Faustina comments that the right hand of Jesus is raised in the gesture of blessing. His left hand is touching the heart, almost as if to draw attention. Look here. But the right hand is in a gesture of blessing, and St. Faustina wanted the right hand to be at the shoulder. It's an interesting detail, right? So at the shoulder, and, and the idea was, particularly from the old days, is when the priest says the prayers, he, it was very strict about how you held your hand, and when the priest gave a priestly blessing, you know, it would be like that. You'd be like this, and you start with the shoulder, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you get the sense that Jesus is wearing the white alb of the priest in this image, and that he's in the gesture. It's almost as if this image is capturing a moment of a priestly blessing from Jesus. Now, as a priest, I find this very interesting. What are we being told here? And uh, St. Faustina struggled with this, the rays, the red and the white. We know uh, they kind of, in the image here, they kind of come down, right? They're almost like a shaft of sunlight coming through the clouds. You know, and you see the beautiful rays. It's like that. But evidently, in her vision, it had more of the feeling of the red and the white coming at you. And there is a painting that the guy tried to capture that, where the rays are kind of coming at you. And it's almost as if this is some sort of a catechetical image that explains to us what happens when we receive a priest's blessing. It's like we need something visual to help us understand, right? Because grace is hard to understand. You don't see grace. But it's almost as if it's like an image which expresses to us something of a grace that comes to us 
at the moment of a priest's blessing, and it's coming from the heart, out of the heart of Jesus, that heart of Jesus that was pierced by the lance. And we remember that when he was dead on the cross, and to confirm that he was dead, the Roman soldier pierced his sacred heart with a lance, blood and water. John notes that blood and water came out. And we know from, from medicine that that means that he was dead, and there was a, a, there's a medical term that describes the separation of the parts of the blood. Brother Pius probably knows what it is. He knows everything. But the blood and water that comes out, and then with the, the image, it's no longer liquid, it's light. The red and the white of, of that blood and water, it is baptism and Eucharist. The water of baptism, the blood that we receive in Holy Communion. It's also evocative of the sacrifice of the lambs in the temple. So we're told that when Jesus was dying on the cross, that was at the same time when the priests in the temple were sacrificing the lambs for Passover. And you can imagine how the, the priest was almost like a butcher for the Jewish people. You're killing, sacrificing animals. And they had a, a drainage system in the temple. You can imagine the amount of blood when they're killing all these lambs. And they would wash the drains out with water. And out of the side of the temple where the Kidron Valley is, blood and water would flow out of the side of the temple. The blood and the sacrifices of the lambs for forgiveness of sins. John realizes that all of that is symbolic of what Jesus would do on the cross. And the blood and the water is coming out of the side of the new temple, which Jesus claimed that his body was the new temple. Isn't this something? So it's an expression of the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, the blood and the water. In all these um, years being a priest and ministering God's mercy in the sacrament of confession, sometimes I've wondered, is this image capturing not just the moment of a priestly blessing, but could we say that somehow this divine mercy image, so filled with symbolism, so many graces that Jesus promised we would receive if we would pray before this image, could it be that this image is capturing the moment of a specific priestly blessing, the moment of absolution and confession? The blood and the water, the washing away of sins, that happens at the moment of absolution. Oh, I feel so moved by this idea. And there have been so many times when I'm sitting in the confessional and I, I am absolving and I have this image in my mind of the, the, uh, the priestly blessing of absolution when Jesus himself sends the Holy Spirit and his grace washes the soul. And as I quoted in my homily earlier today from the catechism that when you go to confession and receive absolution, it is a true spiritual resurrection. Forgiveness of sins the washing of the soul, and filled with his grace. How beautiful, how mysterious, how powerful. Um, now I want to invite Brother Pius to come and explain the rest of it to you. <laughs> and then after Brother Pius is finished at 3 o'clock at the hour of Divine Mercy, on the feast day of Divine Mercy, we will pray the chaplet of Divine Mercy together, after which we have a first-class relic of St. Faustina, and we will have an opportunity to come forward to venerate and be blessed with her relic. 
And again, thank you for being here. Brother Pius, your turn. I need those, Father. Yes. Hey, everyone. Um, it's sort of like tag team wrestling here at the Shrine. Father Luke starts, and I'll jump in. Um, very, very happy to be with you on this Feast of Divine Mercy. Um, and there are a couple of things this year that have struck me in a way that they hadn't struck me before. Um, you know, being a friar, we have a lot of opportunity to kind of dive into the liturgical year a little bit more than the average person. Like, you know, we have a holy hour every day, we have a meditation hour every day, and we, we have the opportunity very often in our friaries to just sort of have a quiet kind of um, experience of the liturgical year, how it unfolds, and what's happening. And I have been, like Father Luke, a big fan of the devotion of Divine Mercy since I first heard about it when I was in seventh grade. Um, I, I was like, I don't know who this Faustina lady is, but I love it. And you know what struck me this, this year is um, in the novena to the Divine Mercy, each time she, she asks the Father to turn his merciful gaze upon us, right? And then there's this fascinating thing where she talks about in each of the groups of people, so like, for example, on you know, day one, bring me all mankind, especially sinners, and immerse them in the ocean of my mercy. And what she says is she refers to the heart of Jesus as an abode, a place to live. And she prays that the entire world is enfolded in the heart of Jesus. What a fascinating prayer. It's beautiful. And what I think is so important for us, like Father Luke said, none of these private revelations contradict the faith. And I wanted to bring in another private revelation that I think sort of ushered in the possibility for the divine mercy, which is the actual devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. Um, back in the 1600s, in the time of Jansenism, so Jansenists were like super strict people. Like, if a priest had any sins whatsoever, he shouldn't say mass, right? Um, which, is, which is actually a heresy, right? Like, because if a priest had to be perfect, the only perfect priest would be Jesus, and we wouldn't have mass or confession, right? And so Jesus decides to reveal this reality of his heart. And what he says about his heart is, the love of my heart is like a fire burning, and I have to let it out. So I'm going to let it out on you, and I'm going to let you be the emissary of the fire of my heart. Like, I can't contain it anymore. It's got to come out. It's burning. And then there's this beautiful exchange that happens where St. Margaret Mary asks Jesus to take her heart and replace it with his. And she says, I saw Jesus take my heart, and it was as though it was the size of an atom. And then he pulled it out after it was burned in the flames of his heart, and he replaced it in my heart, and my heart was on fire like his. And I think that that matches well with the devotion of the divine mercy, where Jesus is constantly asking Faustina for us to be immersed in God's mercy. And where does the mercy flow from? Well, if you look at the image, it flows from the human and divine heart of God. There is a mystery, John Paul II says, in Love and Responsibility of Tenderness. Tenderness is this way in which we are able to more than just sympathize or be compassionate with another's sorrows or joys, but tenderness 
is the disposition of heart whereby we make the feelings of another, we experience the feelings of another as our own. And Jesus invites us into this mystery that our hearts would become like his heart, that we would be merciful like he is, right? What does he say in that parable where you have the, you know, the, the ungrateful steward who has this massive debt and his family's going to be sold into slavery, and the master forgives this huge debt, and he's so excited, and then he leaves his presence and immediately finds one of his fellow servants and starts throttling the guy, saying, give me, you know, in comparison, give me the 50 cents you owe me after my million-dollar debt was just canceled. Crazy, right? And Jesus says, if you don't forgive, if, if experiencing my mercy doesn't make you a merciful person, a heart merciful like the Father, right? Which is what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus says, you should be like your Father, who pours rain on the just and the unjust, on those who deserve it, on those who don't. It doesn't matter. Mercy is for everyone. And Jesus, over and over and over again in the diary of Faustina, what does he say? The greater the sinner, the greater the right they have to my mercy. You're the worst sinner in the world? Good, I'm for you, right? And this feast day, Jesus says, basically, he's like kicking the doors of heaven open. And he's saying, look, I'm going to make it so easy for you, right? The world, I remember John Paul II said this in a homily. He said, the world makes it really easy to sin, right? Like, you can't turn your TV on without some crazy thing being on there that you don't want in your head. The world makes it easy to sin. So what does this devotion do? And what does the church attempt to do? The church wants to make the reception of grace as easy as possible. And so on this day, to pray in front of the image, to pray the chaplet of divine mercy, to go to confession like we would normally do, should be normally doing, you know, maybe on a monthly basis or so, to receive the Eucharist, to pray for the Holy Father, all very easy things. You know, it reminds me a little bit of that story of Naaman the Syrian, the leper, in the time of the prophet Elisha, right? He comes and he's going to be healed of his leprosy. And the prophet just says to him, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. And he's angry with him. And he's about to take off. He says, I expected him to do this, 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 and this. I expected him to make me climb some faraway mountain, you know, get to the top of Mount Everest. And if you can get there and grab, you know, the, the precious flower that grows on the top of Mount Everest and bring it down without it dying, you will receive the healing. It's like, give me something crazy like that to do. Instead, it's like, just go wash in the water right over there. Right? The world makes it easy to sin, and God wants to make it so easy for us to receive his grace and his mercy. And what he's inviting us to do in the Jewish understanding of the human person, the heart, and this is actually in the catechism, you can look it up, the heart is considered the, the center and sort of whole of our personality. It's the place out of which all of our acts proceed. All of our love proceeds, right? If, if you say to someone, you know, you say to your spouse, I give you my heart, right? The gift of your heart is like the gift of your whole self, Right? And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. You'll see sometimes the sacred heart image. He's got his heart in his hand. He's like, here, take my heart. Make it like, make your heart like my heart. And Jesus is inviting us into a dwelling place. 
Right? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And there are these mansions in heaven. I wonder whether every one of those mansions is hidden in the heart of Jesus. His heart is so capacious, so large, that Faustina says the entire world is enfolded in the compassionate, merciful, and loving heart of Jesus. And the merciful Father gazes with mercy on us as we dwell in that heart. Not because we're hiding our sins, right? That's, that's an error. That's something that Luke, Martin Luther taught, which is like, oh, well, Jesus is just going to cover my sins and I'll sneak into heaven. No. Jesus' heart is a burning furnace. It's a fire, a blazing fire. Look at the sacred hearted image next time. There's like a little, a little like chimney at the top and there's fire burning out of it, right? His heart's a fire. And the reality is when we allow ourselves to be put into that fire of his heart, we become transformed. been listening to from the friars podcast the community of franciscan friars the renewal please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media cfr underscore franciscans Mm -hmm.